And God, as I'm your servant, stand before these people. Use me, God. And you know my weaknesses. You know my incompetencies. And, and God, I thank you that it's not difficult for you to use me, God, to do great things, even with my frail words and, and thoughts. Because when we are lifted by your spirit, when we are given your spirit's anointing, we can speak for you to the people here to serve them so that they can get the spiritual nourishment they need today. So God, we pray that you would grant us today a touch from heaven to, to, to see who you are in our lives, how you love us as father and we as your children in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I've been, we've been doing this, uh, uh, the Kingdom Principles series. Uh, a couple of, I mean, the, it, it's, it's been an interesting uh, process for me to learn every time more about God's kingdom. And uh, today's topic is about unity through diversity, or diversity, or however you say it. Now, uh, that's, that's not very something easy to understand unity through diversity i mean they're like unity is something that is i mean if you look at the word for its meaning it probably means something that a quality or a state of not being multiple or in some sense you can say that it is something of a continuity without deviation or change that is what is unity is and so diversity is certainly something that is not unity, which is totally the opposite in the sense that uh, it, it, it means something to be different from one another. If you're talking about a group of people, for example, a combination of distinct or unlike elements or qualities. And so when we say unity through diversity, it is just not possible in the worldly terms. But thank God for what Jesus can do. And his word promises that there is unity through diversity. Let's turn to chapter, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. For just as the body is one, and yet has many parts, all the parts, though many, from only one body, so it is with Christ. For by the Holy Spirit, we were all baptized into one body, spiritually transformed, united together, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, we were all made to drink one Holy Spirit, since the same Holy Spirit filled each life. Amen. I guess my version is a little bit different. As uh, my brother says, it has more words than it needs. <laughs> so that was from the Amplified Version. Sometimes I like it because, you know, it, it, it just kind of pushes you a little bit further to think how these words can connect and, you know, what it could mean. So, yeah, there you go. So the fact that... Uh, that this diversity, this, this being different, 
is not something of an accident. This is how God has designed us. And uh, when you look around here, what do you see? We are all different people. I mean, it's just such a perfect place to talk about unity through diversity. And, uh, and so when you think about how God would create unity through diversity, I mean, it, it's just for, me, for my human mind, it is very hard to understand because uh, God is somebody, uh, God, God has created the universe with precision, you could probably say up to the last digit. I mean, take an example, like uh, if you think about like the sun, right? In the winter, you mentioned sun today, which is nice. And I, I don't think in Finland we have enough sun in the winter. Anybody agrees? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. But then think about, think about precision, how you know, God has designed sun and earth, the distance between it to be what it is right now. So if you wanted the sun to be a little bit warmer in the winter, say four degrees, what will happen? Come on, science guys. Yeah, but then what will happen? I mean, it will be nice, warmer in Finland, right? Or Arizona, part of the world, or Adelaide will have, uh, let me see the number, 45 degrees temperature for three to four months in a year. I mean, that's like 100 degrees in Fahrenheit. I mean, or, or more, actually, kind of lost count. But anyway, I mean, so if you, if you want four degrees more in Finland, that would mean like multiple times in Arizona, a place like in Arizona and Adelaide in Australia. And that would mean the sea level, the water level in the sea would rise. And so places like Egypt will be like underwater. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we're not going to have enough crops to feed all the people here. So that is what the precision we're talking about. It's not four degrees warmer. It's just how it is. And so when a God executes his plan to that precision, so what do you think? I mean, what is this di diversity or diversity it is then? It is a perfect plan that God has devised. I mean, God has thought about it and planned for it. So there's this funny joke about, right, like uh, some of us were in the, uh, in the oven for a little longer than we should have been, and some of us were out of the oven too quickly, right? I mean, it's, it's a really bad joke, but... I mean, there, there, it's, it, there's this idea that, you know, people with darker complexion, complexion were in the oven for a little bit too long. And maybe I just got it right in time. <laughs> too dark. But then those who are a little bit, you know, lighter complexion, they probably got out too quickly at the oven. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, enough with the jokes. But then, then again, the point to make here is that God planned it beforehand. It's not a coincidence. The diversity that we see here is not a coincidence. God has planned it. And uh, you see a wonderful, wonderful picture in the book of Revelation, right? If you go to Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, it gives you a wonderful picture of what it will be like in the future. Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. After these things, I looked. And this is what I saw, a vast multitude, uh, multitude, which no one could count, gathered from every nation, 
and from all the tribes and peoples and languages of the, of the earth, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, which is Christ, dressed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and in a loud voice they cried out, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne. To the Lamb, our salvation is the Trinity to give, and, and to God, the Trinity, we owe our deliverance. So again, my amplified version there. Now, when God has designed this diversity, this, this variety that we see, he didn't stop it there. He, he made a way for us to be united. Colossians chapter 1, verse 18 says, we're going to do a lot of jumping around. So you can just listen to me as I read the word or be fast enough and find the verse. So Colossians chapter 1, verse 18 says that Christ is the head, the life source, and the leader of the body. The church, now this church, this reference is again to the entire body of born-again believers, whether past, present, or future. So Christ is our head, the source, life source, and the leader. And we, as the church, not this church, but everybody, any believer, past, present, and future, we are the body. Then again, in Ephesians 4, 4, there is one body of believers... And one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when called to salvation. Next verse. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is sovereign over all and working through all, living in all. And then, of course, when that happens... God's grace is also given to us in verse 7 says, yet the grace, God's undeserved favor, was given to each one of us, not indiscriminately, but in different ways. In proportion to the measure of Christ's rich and abundant gift. Now, that is that is enough to say that God has already designed and has a plan for us. But then he didn't stop there. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, it talks about, it is he who has also put his seal on us, that is, he has appropriated us and certified us as his and has given us the Holy Spirit in our hearts as a pledge, like a security deposit to guarantee the fulfillment of his promise of eternal life. So now that we looked at how God has planned it, how he has done everything he could to, to help us be united, to unite us, and to kind of give us the assurance that we are his through spirit, let's look at how this body with this diversity is really about. And in the first, uh, in First Corinthians chapter twelve, you see from verses fourteen onward a wonderful example of how this operates. For the human body does not consist of one part, but of many. There are limbs and organs. If the foot says, "Because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body." 
is it not, on the contrary, still a part of the body? If the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body, then again, is it not, on the contrary, still a part of the body? So if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But now, as things really are, God has placed and arranged the parts of the body, each one of them, just as he willed, and saw fit, with the best balance of function. If they all were a single organ, where would the rest of the body be? But for now, as things really are, there are many parts, but a single body. So obviously, with this very practical, simple example, it is clear to see that uh, we are given, like it says in verse 18, that, uh, but now as, as things really are, God has placed and arranged the parts in the body, each one of them, just as he willed and saw fit. And so this is kind of talks about how God has planned. And so we, we have different functions as different parts of the body. And there is then this problem or there is then this, this thing that we can think about as who is better? Like is eye better or is hand better? Are your feet better than your hands? Well, I guess not. I mean, in the, in, the, in, the, in the life of a believer, in Proverbs 26, verse 12 says, Do you see a man who is unteachable and wise in his own eyes and full of self-conceit? Somebody who feels excessive pride or self-love? Then there is problem. There is more hope for a fool than for him. And uh, we can easily understand, like uh, on my way here, when I got into a situation like I tried to explain in the beginning, I, I didn't quite feel very comfortable with, the, with, the, with forgiving this, this person that did that. I kind of thought I was better in judgment than him for what he did. And of course, that is not something that God would think because Jesus died for that person just as much he died for me. And so me being right in that time, in that situation, doesn't make me any better than he or she is. Of course, that is not a, something that is just like that, you know. It doesn't happen like that. You need to go through a process to understand. But then, Word of God constantly reminds us that uh, it is not for us to decide who is better. Like Romans 3, 22, 23. There is no distinction, since all have sinned and continually fall short of the glory of God. And uh, if God, if Jesus wouldn't make a way for me, just as he, he has made a way for him, then, you know, I'm in, in no better position. I, I, am, I am just as condemned as anybody else is, if Jesus is not in my life. Let's look at more verses. Romans chapter 3, verse 24 and onward, 
it talks about again how so there so God I mean the word of God constantly reminds us and I think that I think it, it's kind of simple to understand why because we we tend to forget this so easily that we are not somebody who is better or worse we are just as in the same situation with anybody else and we have this free gift that saves us the the gift that Jesus has established through his sacrifice his life on the cross and uh, and Jesus being sacrificed for our sins given for our sins was a was how God showed his love for us verse 25 whom God displayed publicly before the eyes of the world as a life-giving sacrifice of atonement and reconciliation by his blood to be received through faith so even though I have received Jesus even though I am forgiven this is not something that I can kind of, you know, claim as an act or something that I have done. It is solely by faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness, which demands, which demands punishment for sin. Because in his forbearance, he didn't do that. He restrained himself. He passed over the sins previously committed. So that he can demonstrate his righteousness at the present time. So that he would be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So <clears throat> Romans chapter 3 verse 27 clearly puts the idea to rest that uh, me being a Christian coming to the church every Sunday makes me a better person. It says Romans 3:27 Can we boast? Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. <coughs> it is based on faith. So we're made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. Excuse me. <coughs> so far we, we looked at um, the idea that <coughs> God has created us with diversity in mind, <coughs> excuse me, and that, <coughs> and we also looked at um, there is no superiority, that nobody is greater, no part in the body is greater than the other, because there is nothing that we have that can save us from the wrath of God, but because of faith we are, we are received. Now look, let's look at the fact that um, when we look at all these different functions in the body, does that mean that those who have better function than me should have greater honor or those who have lesser function than me should have lesser honor? Not that. Greater honor is actually for the lesser in function. 
if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, again, <clears throat> verse 21 onward, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. But it is quite the contrary. The part of the body that seem to be weaker are absolutely necessary. And as for those parts of the body which we consider less honorable, these we treat with great honor. And our less presentable parts are treated with greater modesty. While our more presentable parts do not require it, but God has combined the whole body, giving greater honor to the part which lacks it, so that there would be no division or discord in the body. But the parts may have same concern for one another. Verse 26, and if one member suffers, all the parts su share the suffering, and if one member is honored, all rejoice with it. Now, one good example would be that if in our congregation, Pastor Kale would think that he's the most important person because he has the role of a pastor and somebody who, uh, who is not as seen as a pastor, uh, I don't know, maybe somebody who's at the, at the door getting people in, welcoming people, would think that I am not as important as a pastor is. It could be compared to an interesting example like, uh, so if Kale gets all the honor, so if he's the eye, then in the body, he will be like a monster eye, right? Because he has more function than any part of the body, right? Or you could compare it to a, like a giant hand in the body. So I'm like, you know, my 80% like, my of the body is like a hand. <laughs> kind of hard to... Imagine something like that. That would be a monster. I don't think nobody has any use for a monster that has a huge eye. Like the 90% of the body has the eye. And the 10% like a tiny little hand can empty. So just to give you a funny example. Or think about a situation when you're hungry. Right? So when you're hungry... What does it, what, what happens in your body? At least what happens to me is that my head starts to think, where is the source of food? So my head then tells my hands and feet, walk, open the fridge probably, and then get stuff out, get the spoon and, you know, start eating. And then, of course, my mouth then uses the teeth and all the jaw functions to kind of process the food and then push it in. And then my stomach takes it, and, and there's further processing, right? And then that doesn't end there. There is also further, like, you know, it goes into my blood, the heart pumps it and goes through my body, and uh, my brain gets nourishment, and a mysterious smile comes up in my face, and I start beginning praising the Lord, right? Amen. So, so that is a process. Uh, if, if you look at 1 Corinthians 25, 26, I'm reading from the, the message version this time. It says, the way God designed our bodies is a model for
for understanding our lives together as a church. Every part dependent on every other part. The parts we mention and the parts we don't, the parts we see, the parts we don't. If one part hearts, every other part is involved in the heart and in the healing. If one part flourishes, every other part enters into exuberance. So, so, the, so, so now we go one step further and look at how one part flourishes, the, the section that one part flourishes and every other part enters into exuberance. And, and also the same way when one part hurts, <clears throat> it also involves the rest of the body. I think Jesus Christ gave us the prime example that we can probably mention here from Romans chapter 15, verse 1. Now we who are strong in our convictions and faith ought to patiently put up with the weaknesses of those who are not strong and not just please ourselves. Let each one of us make it a practice to please his neighbor. Now, who's neighbor? I got a definition that a neighbor is all those with whom you have contact. So, let each one of us make it a practice to please his neighbor for his good, to build him up spiritually. For even Christ did not please himself. But as it is written in scripture, the reproaches of those who reproached you, the father, fell on me, the son, in Psalm 69, verse 9. There's also another, uh, if you go further into uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 from verse 20 and onwards, you'll also see that the body of Christ has functions that is reading from verse 28. So God has appointed and placed in the church for his own use, first apostles chosen by Christ, second prophets, those who foretell the future, those who speak a new message from God to people, the third, teachers, fourth, those who work miracles, then those with the gifts of healing, the helpers, the administrators, speakers in various kinds of tongues, languages. Now, obviously, when we talk about the apostles, the prophets, these functions, again, are not on par in the sense that the way they perform or they, they you know, they edify the body of Christ. Just uh, a while ago, the example that I gave you, if, if uh, again, the, the apostles were the most important part, then again, it will be a, a giant eye in the body taking up the 90% of the body, and that wouldn't make any sense. Neither can all the prophets be so important that everything else is you know, reduced to something very small. 
nor can the teachers be very important that they are everything in the body of Christ. So in the same way, everybody cannot be miracle workers either. And not everybody has the gift of healing either. And some in the congregation that you've already seen can speak in tongues, and some can't. And some have uh, the, the gift to interpret what somebody, when somebody speaks in tongue means. So in, in, in 1 Corinthians verse, uh, chapter 12, 31 puts it very plainly. If you look at it, is, it says, um, instead of going after these gifts, instead of, you know, the desire to achieve, to, to, to be gifted with these gifts, this desire more, what, what we should desire more, or it says, but earnestly desire and strive for the greater gifts. If acquiring them, is, uh, is going to be only your goal, then try to desire or earnestly desire and strive for greater gifts. And yet I will show you, and it continues, will show you a still more excellent way, one of the choicest graces and the highest of them, all is unselfish love. So, of course, these gifts are important, but then there is more to it than just being gifted with these gifts and using these gifts. Our, our focus, our earnest desire, and we should strive to love one another unselfishly. Romans 15 verse 13 says, no one has greater love nor stronger commitment than to lay down his own life for his friend. course when you look at the New Testament when there was this time when Salome, Salome or how do you say it, the the lady who is believed to be uh, the sister of Jesus mother Mary she came and asked Jesus that if if her two sons James and John could be in higher authority with Jesus remember the the section in Matthew 20 talks about so when the disciples who were there found out that this lady wants her sons to have prominence or have a position with Jesus, they got angry with her because uh, obviously the, the disciples also wanted it. And so Jesus had to make a statement and make it clear in verse 25, you see, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles have absolute power and lord it over them. And their great men exercise authority over them. Turn, if it is, I mean, it is not this way among you. So the Gentiles, the rulers of the Gentiles have this, this thing that they want, they want to exercise their absolute power. They want to be lording over them, exercising authority to a point that it's kind of uh, painful to the, those who are under him or her, but it is not the way among you, among you being disciples of Jesus. 
But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your willing and humble slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many, paying the price to set them free from the penalty of sin. So, so now we have looked at how God has designed diversity in the body of Christ. And then he unites us through Jesus being our head and Holy Spirit as a seal that promises that we are his. And then these body parts that we are in the body of Christ, we absolutely need each other. We cannot, a body cannot function without a hand or without a leg. And then we also looked at that none of these body parts, even though how important it is, is not better or worse than the other parts. And uh, we also looked at how the lesser parts in your body, for example, your stomach, compared to your hands, in a way, you should be, you know, you, you are more worried about it. There was a section that I wrote, which said, uh, that uh, wouldn't you have more of a working stomach to nourish your whole body than an eye, if you have to compare your body parts? Of course, that is not a very healthy comparison, but you know, just to give you an idea, that uh, you know the parts that are hidden inside are more, you know, more sensitive or more of a center of in in the center of our focus than the parts that we see. So, the point that I'm trying to make is that the lesser part or the the weaker part has more honor or more attention. We need to give more attention than the the bigger or the more stronger part. And then we also looked at how it is not the point, even though we know that the, in the body of Christ there are different gifts that God has given us, the gift of apostle, prophet, healing, the gift of speaking different tongues, miracles, doing miracles. We are also encouraged to live a life that, that is centered around unselfish love just as Jesus has been the example. And finally, from Philippians chapter 2, I'd like to read a long section and then I'll close. Philippians chapter 2, verses 2 through 8. Therefore, if there is any encouragement and comfort in Christ, as there certainly is in abundance, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship that we share in the spirit, if there is any great depth of affection and compassion, make my joy, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, having the same love, 
toward one another. Knit together in spirit, intent on one purpose, and living a life that reflects your faith and spreads the gospel. The good news regarding salvation through faith in Christ. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit through factional motives or strife, but with an attitude of humility, being neither arrogant nor self-righteous, regard others as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this same attitude in yourselves, which was in Christ. Look to him as your example in selfless humility, who, although he existed in the form and unchanging essence of God, as uh, one with him, possessing the fullness of all the divine attributes, the entire nature of deity, did not regard quality, equality with God a thing to be grasped or asserted as, as if he did not already possess it or, or was afraid of losing it. He did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped or asserted. Just reading it again. As if he did not already possess it or was afraid of losing it, but emptied himself without renouncing or diminishing his deity, but only temporarily giving up the outward expression of divine quality and his rightful dignity by assuming the form of a bond servant and being made in the likeness of men. He became completely human, but without sin, being fully God and fully man. After he was found in terms of his outward appearance as a man for a divinely appointed time, he humbled himself still further by becoming obedient to the Father to the point of death, even death on a cross. Amen. So now, as a congregation, we don't have any excuse in the sense that... Uh, we will say that, oh, you don't greet the way I do in my country or in my culture, so I'm not going to have much to do with you. Or the worship leader today is leading worship not kind of like what I have done in my church, so I don't feel like worshiping that today. Or, well, Saeed is not a very good, you know, he's not very good at doing this, so maybe I don't have to listen to him today. <laughs> Those are not any excuses anymore. Because God, who has created us, he has already seen this is going to happen today. I'm going to be here. You're going to be there. And it's not a surprise. So he has done everything he could. He's, he's given his son away for us. He's, he's given us the Holy Spirit that is the security, the surety, the assurance that we are his. And there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ. And as we are God's children, 
we just don't have anything that we can possibly lack. In the physical sense, that could mean something. But in the spiritual world, we have all the authority, all that we need and even more. And so as a congregation, I think it is time for us all to stand up and call on that God. That God will do something new today that I or my words cannot do, but he can. Let's pray. And of course, we're going to have the altar open. I'll be one of those guys who will be at the altar. Come join us so we can all pray together. Because this gift that God has given us is free for everybody. And he's a God and a good father for all of us here. So you're not a stranger. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you, God, for your love for us. Thank you for the testimonies that you've given us, God, individually and as a body of Christ here today. Thank you, Lord, that, that your wisdom is, is the truth, is, is all that we need. And it can penetrate whatever, your word can penetrate whatever that is before it. That it will never come back empty. And so, God, as we are here today, we submit our lives to you, God. Because we know full well that you, with you, there is nothing impossible. No matter what my situation today is, no matter what my sickness it is, no matter what my finances is, no matter what my relationship is, God, you are greater. God, you are stronger. And God, you are the Lord, the God, the Lord of lords. 